Today I'm reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, good morning and uh, welcome into FBC Online. So glad that you are here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors and just want to say welcome and want to invite you to pray with me uh, for a moment here before we jump into the word. Would you join me? Father, thank you for uh, a chance to worship, a chance to sing to you and pray and celebrate uh, all you're doing here at FBC. We're just we're, uh, we're grateful, Lord, and, and we now thank you for this time to open up your word. We pray that you would uh, speak to us. Would you teach us? Would you guide us? Uh, help us see you clearly. And would you, by your spirit, convict us and encourage us and, and move us towards uh, the things that you want us to be about and to take away and apply to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, well, hey, open up a Bible with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, as this morning we're continuing our sermon series we've called Go Where You Are, which actually is going to end next week. So next week will be the fifth and final week of this series where we're trying to kick off this initiative for our church that'll take uh, the first half of 2021. So even though the sermon series is ending next week, we're going to continue with the Your Four Cards and the different initiatives uh, this first half of the year where we're really trying to think like missionaries here, thinking God has placed us here for a reason. And so what would it look like to live with that kind of intentionality and focus here? And so over the course of a few weeks, we've talked about the call to go, that we're to go and engage the needs of the world. We've talked about, well, where are we supposed to go? It's not just overseas. It's not just in a faraway land, but we're called to, to go out uh, here where God has placed us. We've talked about the question of who will go. Uh, is it just a few select missionaries or professional Christians? Uh, we said, no, it's actually all of us. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus shares this call to go. And then last week we started shifting gears towards talking about what does it mean to go? And Pastor Lee did a fantastic job preaching from Romans chapter 8, sharing the fact that part of what it means to go is that we have this compelling message. We've been given this incredible message of the gospel to share with the world. And he walked us through Romans chapter 8, and we looked at all that Jesus has done, how now in Christ there's no condemnation for us. We've been uh, adopted into the family of God. We have Jesus and the Holy Spirit as our advocate. We can't be separated from the love of Christ. And so Lee just walked us through all these incredible gospel truths, this amazing message that we have to share with the world. We have truly a compelling message. But this morning, I want to talk about the reality that the call to go means more than just sharing a compelling message. 
In addition to that, we're also called to live compelling lives. The way we live is supposed to communicate something to the watching world. Remember back when we lived in Colorado for about six years, this was before Zoe was born, all we had at the time was a dog named Coda, and Amber and I loved it out there. Uh, We're glad to be back here, but we had a great time in Colorado, and we realized that four-wheel drive cars are a big deal in Colorado. People love taking them up to the mountains, but even just around town uh, in Denver, people love having their four-wheel drive cars because snowstorms would come in, it would make the roads kind of icy and difficult, and so that was key. And I remember this really stood out one winter night in seminary. Amber stayed home with Coda. We had just gotten Coda as a puppy. And I went out with some of my friends from seminary. And we were out late and a snowstorm hit that night. We were at this restaurant and we came out about 1130 at night. We were getting ready to go home, all back to our houses. And we couldn't find my car. See, when the snow drops, it kind of covers some of the parking lines and some of the signs. You can't really read what's going on. It turns out when we got there that night, I parked in a parking space that I wasn't supposed to park in. It wasn't for the restaurant. It was for an apartment complex nearby. And so when I came out, my car got towed. I know. So here we are. Okay, picture with me. It's 1130 at night, me and a couple fellas. Uh, from seminary, and we don't have a car, and it's in the middle of a snowstorm, and it's cold and dark. I know. So, thankfully, one of my buddies uh, met us there with his car, and so he, we all piled in his four-wheel drive car, and we drove first to an ATM where I could withdraw enough cash to go and get my car uh, out of the tow yard, uh, which thankfully the towing place was still open that late. And the ATM, we found one that was, uh, again, open and working at night. So we go and we get cash. And then they drive me over to the tow yard. And I pay cash and I get my car out. And they all go home in this other car. And they leave me to drive home. Now, the car I had at the time was the same car that I have now. Okay, it's a 2004 Toyota Camry, four-cylinder sedan, so not exactly your rugged mountain terrain vehicle. Okay, so snowstorm, terrible roads, and I have to drive about 20 minutes home in my Camry. So I'm sliding all over the road, having trouble braking, going slow, having trouble getting traction, going up hills and such. I honestly wondered, I was like, am I even going to be able to make it home? Am I going to have to call another friend who can come and help me get home and we'll just leave the car on the side of the road? Like sometimes people have to do that. So all the while this is happening, I made it home that night uh, after a while, thankfully. It was very cold and you know, but I saw on the road as I'm driving other vehicles, these SUVs, these native Colorado people kind of sneering at me in their four-wheel drives as they go by saying, <laughs> look at this California kid. And they're, going, they're taking the hills fine. They're breaking fine. They're handling things with ease. And I remember at that moment, I was like, we got to get a four-wheel drive car. Okay, they have something that I don't, and I need some of that in my life. And so, not too long after that, actually, we ended up buying a four-wheel drive car, and it was amazing. And the point of that is that I didn't just hear about four-wheel drive cars. You know, it wasn't like I saw an ad 
uh, in the paper or on TV, and it was like, four-wheel drive cars are great. It wasn't just that, and then I was like, oh, I should go buy one. It was like, I saw it in real life. I saw someone using it. I saw what their experience is like uh, when they had it, and I said, I need that. I don't have that in my life. And now that I see it in action and I see how different it is compared to what I have, I need that. See, the Bible explains in the same way our lives as we follow Jesus are supposed to communicate something similar to people. We're supposed to live in such a way that other people would see and have the reaction of, wow, I want what they have. I see how they live. I see that it is good. I see how they love one another. I see the difference Jesus makes in their life, and I need that. The Bible makes this case in a number of different ways, but one example is from Matthew chapter 5, where I've had you turn. It's the Sermon on the Mount, this famous section of Jesus teaching. He's up on this hillside, and he's, he's teaching the people about what it means to follow him, what it means to, to belong in the kingdom of God. I want to read some of it for us. Matthew 5, verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus uses two images to explain what his followers are supposed to be like in the world. He says salt and light. So first, salt. Salt preserves food, right? And especially in the ancient world, that was a key use for it. It would keep food from spoiling. And more than that, I mean, it was just a a necessary element in the human diet to keep people alive. It was very valuable and necessary. And so Jesus is saying that his followers will have this role of of preserving, of a stabilizing presence in society. One commentator explains it this way, salt serves mainly to give flavor and to prevent corruption. So disciples, if they are true to their calling, make the earth a purer and more palatable place. But they can do so only as long as as they preserve their distinctive character. Unsalty salt has no more value. So Jesus says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. And then he goes on and says, you are what? The light of the world. We talked about a few weeks ago, light has this sense of of purity, of of good, goodness, shining in the darkness, shining amidst evil. And so with both salt and light, there's this idea of being distinct, Like, you know that they are there when they are there. Salt and light both have impact on their surroundings, right? And if you don't believe me, just think about this with salt. Like, go to the kitchen, or maybe kids, kids, if you're you're watching here, you can run to the kitchen and get a salt shaker or get that big blue tub of salt from the cupboard and bring back, bring it back, go, bring it back, bring it back. Now, have your parents, your mom, your dad, your brother maybe, uh, open their mouth 
and dump some of that salt in their mouth. Yeah, you, you can do it. The pastor said you can do it. You can go, go ahead and, and do it. Okay, let us know how it goes. Wait for it. Okay, so the right, big reaction, right? Okay, so the point is, right, when salt is there, like you know it, 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 it causes uh, something. There's a reaction, an impact. It's impossible to ignore. It's profoundly uh, noticeable and powerful. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of, of the world. And this echoes the idea of, of what we see in the Old Testament, how God calls his people to be a holy people, right? He says, I am holy, and so I call you to be holy as well. And so often that's how God explains uh, how he, what he wants for his people, for Israel, to be distinct from the surrounding nations, noticeably different, so that the heart of God and the character of God would be made known to the watching world through his people. And so again, last week, Pastor Lee shared with us that we have this compelling message to share with the world about what Christ has done. Absolutely. And we also are called to live these compelling lives to show people through how we treat other people, how we treat one another, the morality that we hold to, we're supposed to show people this compelling life. Friends, in our, in our Bible reading plan, maybe you've noticed this, uh, many of you have taken up the call to read through the whole Bible with us this year. Uh, it's been so fun. We're doing it on the YouVersion Bible app, having a great time with it. Right now we're in the book of Exodus, and this week we saw some of these uh, laws, as in Exodus 20 and on, God gives the Ten Commandments, He gives to Moses uh, the law and the covenant, and here's all these uh, commands of God for how His people are to interact. Now notice, He's already saved them, He's rescued them from Egypt. And so these aren't commands in terms of, hey, you need to do these things in order to be saved. You need to do these things in order for me to rescue you. No, he's already rescued them. He's saved them. He's given them his grace. And and now, hey, now that you belong to me, here's how I call you to live. And we read through these these laws, uh, pretty extensive laws about how the people of Israel were to treat other people how they were to treat foreigners in their midst, how they were to care for widows, how they were to have integrity in their legal proceedings and not take bribes and not take advantage of the poor, how they were to have uh, sexual integrity and holiness, how they were to make restitution when property was damaged or when things were broken and so on. So the idea was God saying to the people, you are supposed to look different from the nations around you. You are to love people. You are to carry out justice in your land that people would see it and say, this is good. How you live is good for human flourishing. We want to be more like that. And so as we've seen in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, hey, that call to holiness, that call to, to living a compelling life was true for the Old Testament people of Israel and is true for his followers still today. Jesus reinforces this here in Matthew 5 by saying, you're salt, you're light, live this out. And so we can think about maybe a few examples of what this looks like today. Like how do we take this out of the abstract the theory of salt and light and those images and, and say, well, what, what does that look like in our everyday lives? What are some of the things that people should 
see in us or see about us as Christians? A couple ideas. One uh, is that both the Old and the New Testaments call the people of God to care for orphans. You see that a lot throughout Scripture. Care for vulnerable kids. Care for kids without parents. Care for kids without guardians and people looking out for them. And so as a church, as Christians, are we responding to that call? That's why we've partnered with Foster the Bay. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, The ministry of Foster the Bay, it's this coalition of churches in the Bay Area that's trying to raise up foster families to take in kids that are in need. And so I know many of you have already come out to a Foster the Bay interest meeting, which is awesome. I think we had about 20 people come out to an interest meeting to learn more about how uh, you could maybe become a foster family or be a support friend to those who are uh, taking in foster kids themselves. And I want you to know just that there's another opportunity, a Foster the Bay interest meeting that's going to be on uh, February 16th at 8 p.m. These interest meetings are online. They're about an hour long. They're on Zoom. A great way to learn more about uh, foster care, caring for vulnerable kids. Um, So if you haven't been out to an interest meeting, or maybe you've been to one, but you want a refresher about uh, what foster care is and why it's so important for Christians to be involved in it, I would love to see you out at that meeting. You can fill out your connection card Uh, Just right now on the top right of your screen, go fill out your connection card with your name, email, and just mention, hey, Foster the Bay in there, and we'd love to get you more information about that. Uh, But I love this ministry, and as a church, we are so glad to be partnering with Foster the Bay because as you know, sometimes the reputation of the church in the Bay Area or of Christians in, in the West can be I don't know, sometimes negative in people's minds or, oh, the church is anti this or grumpy about this or anti that. And so a part of the philosophy of Foster the Bay is what if, what if the church was known in the Bay Area as the people who took care of vulnerable kids? Like, what if that was our reputation? That the, the first thing that came into people's minds when they thought about Christians or about the church was like, whoa, they're the people who care for, for needy kids. Like, what if we were able in the Bay Area to wipe out the waiting list of foster kids? There's like a waiting list of kids waiting for homes. What if uh, we were able to eradicate that because all the kids were placed in loving homes connected to churches and Christians? What an amazing legacy that would be that people would think of, oh, there's no more waiting list for foster kids. They all have homes because of Christians. That's what we were known for. Wouldn't that be amazing? Anyway, so, so we love this ministry. We'd love for you to, uh, to consider being a part of it and learn more. Again, you can fill out the connection card. We'll get you more information there. We'll also uh, send a link here in the chat to their website. Um, and similar to, just uh, again, caring for vulnerable kids. Uh, many of you know Andre Robinson is a member of our church and part of our church family, and he leads a ministry called Safe Refuge that has a similar approach to Foster the Bay. They say, we want to care for vulnerable kids and vulnerable families, uh, but they try and catch things a little bit further upstream. So before kids enter the foster care system, they say, hey, we want to come around these families that are in need and provide support as Christians uh, be present in their lives. And so if you'd like to know more about, again, Safe Refuge, let us know in your connection card. We would love to connect you with Andre and and how you can be involved there. We can keep going. The scriptures talk about uh, uh, loving the foreigner or or the immigrant. 
And so, in the way that we think about immigration or, or refugees, uh, how do we talk about Im- immigrants and refugees? Do, do we make it easier for them to be welcomed into our society? Now, I know that the immigration law and reform and such is a complicated matter, and so I'm not advocating for, for particular policies. I'm not versed enough to know exactly what that would look like, but I know as Christians we should have a heart for the immigrant a heart for people who are strangers in our land, in a sense. How can we come alongside them, love them, speak well of them? Or in a world that's so, right now, uh, tense because of race relations. As the church, are we, are we leading the way in, in racial reconciliation, in, in listening to our brothers and sisters from different backgrounds and ethnicities, of seeking unity together? Like what if people could look to the church and say, they're taking this seriously. And these Christians are leading the way of how to be one big multi-ethnic family. Really, we should be showing that. Or I think about how uh, you and so many of you have served at the Red Awning Cafe, this ministry to the middle school across the street and families in Benicia. So many parents over the years have mentioned to me the Red Awning Cafe how it's made an impact in their lives and in their families. So many of you have volunteered to say, we want to love our neighbors. We want to serve kids food in our community. We want to be there for them. I know that it's been shut down because of COVID right now. Uh, But just for years, that's been a legacy of people saying, hey, we want to love our neighbors well. Or think about how you all, church, you were so generous to donate over $9,000 in December to the Christian Help Center in Vallejo so that they could buy a washer and dryer to do laundry for homeless families, uh, an industrial strength washer and dryer. You just, out of the generosity of your heart, said, I'll give some of my money to that. You gave away your hard-earned money so that other people would be blessed. Or I think about uh, our ministry with Compassion International in Togo. A couple years ago, right, we had a Compassion Sunday. We sponsored over 70 kids from the village of Daura in Togo. And actually, you all, we gave the money to launch this child development center. Uh, we were the, the, the partner that, that made it possible for this child development center to start and for this whole community to receive education and, and gospel teaching and community resources through Compassion International, all done in Jesus' name. I mean, it really is an incredible ministry and it was possible because of your generosity. And actually, a, a year uh, ago at Christmas, you all, again, we took up another special offering, and you guys gave, I think it was over $12,000, might have even been about $14,000 to upgrade uh, in Togo, okay, in Africa, in Daura there, uh, to upgrade their facilities, their bathrooms. Uh, we're actually going to be sharing about next week some more information about that, but um, just exciting how you've given so much and so many people have been blessed that you haven't even met. And so I bring up these examples to say those are, are pictures of, of salt and light. Where you said, we're going to love people. And we're going to be generous. And we're going to be sacrificial. Those are things that make our, our community and the watching world say, wow, like that's beautiful. That's noteworthy. I want to be a part of a community like that. We could go on and on and say how Christians are supposed to protect the unborn and support uh, crisis pregnancy centers and uh, pregnant 
women who need help and support, how we as a church can care for our neighbors and people who are lonely and maybe people in elderly homes. We could talk about how uh, we're called to, to treat those who have been abused and, and, and care for victims and come alongside them. We're supposed to be people marked by just integrity in our business dealings, honesty when we file our taxes, uh, by how we speak about people. Do we build people up and speak well of others or do we criticize and gossip and cut people down. So again, I'm just giving all kinds of examples of how we live, how we treat people, how we use our words, how we use our money. Are we showing the world something that's, that's noticeably different and generous and loving? We can go on, we can talk about William Wilberforce. Do you know the example of William Wilberforce back in the early 1800s? It was uh, instrumental in abolishing the slave trade in England. Because of his Christian convictions, he says, I want my society more to reflect the heart of God. It was just so influential in that movement to abolish the slave trade. And it's important that we know names like William Wilberforce. There's some of these generous things going on in our communities because sometimes we have this narrative out there that like Christians throughout history and in the world have just been a bunch of big failures, you know? Like we haven't done much good, haven't contributed much to the well-being of society, but that's simply not true. I mean, sure, we've done things wrong. Sure, Christians throughout history have kind of a checkered past, and there are some uh, blemishes on the record, no doubt, but also so much good has been done in the name of Jesus. So much good. We think of the Christian origins behind hospitals and nursing and orphanages, and even just the basic understanding of human rights, like saying that all people deserve dignity and respect and protection under the law, that hasn't always been the case throughout history or throughout parts of the world, uh, where people are not always treated equally. But as Christians, there's this foundation that has shaped the Western mindset to say, no, all people, no matter uh, whether they're men or women, or whether they're rich or poor, deserve respect and are worthy of dignity that comes from a Christian worldview. So friends, we're called to be salt and light to do good in the world. And I want to say too that 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 extends beyond just our individual good deeds. Our lives are to be compelling when we look at how we interact with one another. Look back at Matthew 5.14 our relationships here. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So we talked about a few weeks ago how this being a town or a city on a hill, that's communal language, right? It's not just my individual good deeds, but our life together as a community is to be visible and, and noteworthy. And so Jesus said in John 13, You'll, people will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. So our love for one another is to be seen. People should be able to look at Christians, to look at our church, say, look at how they love people. It's like, wow, they really take care of each other. Or they really, they really forgive each other when they sin against each other. They really forgive one another. Or they're incredibly gracious towards one another. They're not quick to attack or accuse or hold a grudge. They don't just claw at each other and cut each other down. Look at how they treat each other. And and the effect should be, people say, I want to be a part of a family like that. 
I want to be a part of a community like that. Look at the love. Look at the, the welcome. Look at the, the grace that's displayed there. Because, because the opposite can be true, right? If you look at a toxic community or, or a toxic family, an unhealthy family, like sometimes you say, woof, like I don't want to be any part of that. I don't want to be near that. We need to be a church where people say, I, I want to be a part of a family like that. And see, when, when I was younger, I used to think that like one of the highest virtues or values uh, for Christians or the church was that we needed to be cool. You know, like when I was in junior high and high school, I wanted, to, I wanted our church to be a cool church. I wanted a cool pastor. I wanted a cool community. Like cool was like really highly valued uh, in my, you know, adolescent mind. Uh, but as I've grown older, I've realized that cool is much less valuable, right? Like cool is kind of cheap and flimsy and comes and goes. Cool is not that important. But what I started really to value as I got older is uh, a church that's, that's kind, a church that is gracious, a church that is, is loving. And, and my heroes in the church were no longer like the cool pastor or the cool, you know, nationally known speaker in Christian circles. No, my, my heroes started to become those, those sweet, kind, generous, gracious believers, often older believers in our church, in this church, in our previous church, older believers who have just loved their families well for decades, have loved their church and loved their neighbors well for decades, and they weren't well-known, they weren't famous, most people didn't know their name, they weren't particularly cool, but they made me say, wow, I, I want to be a part of a family with them. I, I want to be more like them when I get older. Have you had a moment like that? Would you share in the chat, if, you have, if a person comes to mind, you're like, wow, I just, I, I've seen them. I've seen how they treat people. And I, just, I want to be more like that. Does someone, someone, a mentor, an older figure in your life come to mind? Would you just share in the chat right now? Someone that makes you say, I want to be more like that. I want our church to reflect more that approach to life. Now, the text goes on to tell us why we are supposed to live this way, okay? Look at me, verse 16. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're to be salt and light. Why? So that people would see and glorify God. That people would see our good deeds. People are watching, right? Isn't that what we do when someone looks a little different or something's a little bit out of place? We pay more attention to it. So when something's different, people watch and pay attention and the idea is that people would see how we live and say, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand why they live that way. It's not natural to live that way. I don't understand what drives them or motivates them to live like that. What can explain that? And the only explanation is Jesus, is the power of God and the presence of God in our lives. And people would say, wow, I guess Jesus makes a big difference. It doesn't make sense to be generous that way. It doesn't make sense to give away your money like that. It doesn't make sense to give away your time like that. It doesn't make sense to love difficult people like that. It doesn't make sense to sacrifice for others like that. It doesn't make sense to treat people well when they're harsh with you. It doesn't make sense. You say, oh, so it's because of Jesus. 
That's why you live that way. Wow, Jesus must make a pretty big difference in your heart then. And that's what's going to help people see the gospel lived out and want to respond to Jesus as well, right? Because people may not be convinced to follow Jesus by an airtight argument on Facebook, right? Sometimes people hear the gospel and they respond right away. Praise God. People are ready to hear and receive and respond. But sometimes we think, well, if I only get the argument just right, they'll see that Christianity is true and they'll want to follow Jesus, but it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes what communicates to people is, is a Christian in their life that, that loves them radically. That can make a bigger impact than we realize. As you think about how you came to faith, it wasn't always initially uh, airtight, rational arguments for the legitimacy of the Christian faith that led you to become a Christian. Now, those sorts of arguments are there and important, uh, and we can have those conversations can point people that Christianity is true and rational and historically viable. And so it's not that those lines of reasoning are bad. They're, they're good and helpful. But sometimes people are, are moved more easily by a compelling life of love that they witness. Those stories are powerful. In the same way that sometimes movies... Uh, move us, stories move us, capture our hearts in a way that just like a rational uh, explanation of something doesn't. And so verse 16, again, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We live for the glory of God, that God would be glorified, that God would be seen as, as the hero Pastor John Piper has famously said that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. So when we are satisfied in God and say Jesus is our treasure and we're willing to sacrifice him because he's worth it, because he's beautiful, because he's what we truly need, that helps people see how valuable he is. Right? When you see people line up to, to buy a TV on Black Friday overnight, like, wow, those people really value that TV. They're willing to do all, camp outside, do all this, you know, inconvenience themselves, do all this stuff so that they can have that TV. That TV must be really special to them. And so in the same way, we should live in such a way that say, you know what? Jesus is my treasure. So I can sacrifice my money. I can give it away. I can sacrifice my time. I can give it away. I can do difficult things. and my, Sacrifice my comfort and love people. In difficult ways, because why? Because Jesus satisfies my heart. Jesus is what I need. He's worth it. And so you see, friends, that this all starts then with an understanding of the gospel, right? How the gospel changes us. This message of, of Jesus' death on the cross for us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we experience the grace of God and the, the forgiveness of God. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's reconciled us to himself. He's given us new hearts. And we say, I have been so loved by God. I now can extend that love to others. I've been so forgiven by God. I can extend this forgiveness to others. God's been so gracious and patient with me. I can be gracious and extend that to other people. And so we're talking a lot about doing good in the world and our good deeds shining. And I want to make sure we don't misunderstand. This is not just another, hey, get it together sermon. 
It's not to say go try harder, be better. Because doing good is not a way to earn God's love. No, we do good in response to God's love. And so first we have to receive God's love by putting our faith in Jesus, responding to the gospel, turning from our sin and following him. And then we do good. Then we are empowered by the Spirit to live this new life. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, don't hear me telling you, hey, go get to work and do a bunch of good deeds. No, no. step one is look what Jesus has done for you and, and receive him. Put your faith in him. Receive the love of God for you. Let the love of God change you. And then let us go together, live how God has called us to live. And friends, this is even true when we fail. I want to make this clear as well that I'm not just talking about, hey, we're supposed to be these good, flawless people out there in the world that everyone sees. Because, hey, we fail. We sin. We still stumble as Christians. So we're not going to present this perfect, polished image for the world to see. Hopefully it is different. And hopefully we're moving towards holiness and obedience to God. But we're going to fail But the good news is that we can acknowledge that openly. Say, you know what? The starting point of our faith is that we're sinners in need of God's grace. We're in need of a Savior. So the cat is already out of the bag on you, right? If you're a Christian, you've already admitted, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of the grace of God. And so that, that brings a certain freedom to our lives, where we can admit our mistakes, where we can apologize to other people, saying, yeah, I, I messed up. I didn't handle that well. Or I've, I've had to go back to people in my past, uh, former, former girlfriends, former uh, well, family members, uh, friends, and say, you know, I, I'm sorry for how I treated you. That didn't represent who I want to be as a Christian. It wasn't okay. And so I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And I think how we fail and talk honestly about our failures can be more powerful than our successes sometimes. If we're able to have those conversations, sometimes those have more impact on people than when they see a, wow, you're able to do hard things or do really good deeds or sacrifice so much for Jesus. When we come to them and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I messed up, would you forgive me? Sometimes that's more healing and more powerful than any of the good deeds that we do. And so even when we fail, we can live this compelling life because in Christ there is really this this freedom to not have it all together. And friends, then when we live this out, we have this incredible platform to speak about Jesus. And, And that's why we have this monthly challenge this month Last month was to fill out the Your Four card. Now, as part of our Go Where You Are initiative, uh, the monthly challenge for the month of February is to write out your testimony. Pastor Lee talked about this a little bit earlier in the service. But we want every one of you, every one of us, to have thought through the difference Jesus has made in our lives so that we're ready to communicate that to someone. So that when someone asks about why we do the things we do, or what we believe, or what difference Jesus has made in our lives, we'd be able to articulate that. Sometimes if we don't think about it in advance, we won't be ready or prepared for those moments. So this is a step of preparation to say, hey, if I had a short little window, you know, a couple minutes to explain to someone, here's what Jesus has meant in my life and the difference uh, he's made and how he's changed me, what would we say? 
So this month, again, the challenge is to make sure to do that so that as we live this compelling life, we then would have this platform to speak and that God would be glorified. So friends, now as we close out our service, we're going to have a time of communion where we look to the cross and again celebrate this gospel message that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus came to die for us, to take our sin and punishment and all the consequences of judgment and condemnation upon himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven and freed and reconciled to God through the work of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to grab your communion elements, uh, something representing the bre- uh, bread and something representing the cup. And then we are going to pray together and then we'll take the elements together in celebration of what Jesus has done. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for saving us. Thank you for your uh, broken body and your shed blood. You say that uh, those who come to you, you will never turn away because you have purchased us by your blood. We are justified. We're made right, made righteous uh, because of you, Jesus. We're saved by your grace as a gift. So we look to the cross and we say thank you. And Jesus, we also realize that again, we, we're called to live holy lives and to be different to be salt and light. And, and we know, even as we've talked this morning, that some of us have failed to do that. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us of our sins? And, and Jesus, would you now help us? Help us uh, with the power of your Spirit to live new lives, uh, to uh, treat others how you called us to, to love, to forgive, to be gracious, to to demonstrate in our relationships together and in our our good deeds in the world. Uh, Help us demonstrate who you are. We need your help. But it starts here, Lord, just by receiving your grace. So thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, on the night he was betrayed... On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Forgive me if I can get this open here. He said, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, he took the cup. Said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen.